0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Blog Talk Radio Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, Energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula.
0: Well, good afternoon out there, everyone. Today, as usual, we have a great show. We're we're with co-author Lee McCormick and with his new book, Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag, a transformational guide for living, happy, joyous, and free. This is um, a great, great book. And um, Lee has actually, uh, he was willing to bear it all, to strip away the layers and let us share his journey to addiction-free spiritually enriched mental and emotional health. His journey is spicy as he awakens to how spirit really works. You are now Mm -hmm. listening to the Taz and Paula Show,
2: and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Boy, oh, boy. Tipped with a higher love touch, Lee McCormick opens his arms to all and says, Just as I have learned how to behave from my parents and the world around me, I can unlearn those behaviors that no longer serve me. Lee McCormick, your book is magnificent. You speak about not being told what to do, but you were guided to see for yourself what was before you, looking internally. You say it was like finding yourself within a labyrinth. And as our listeners may know, a labyrinth leads back to the center rather than to the outside, as a maze does. It was your centering within that you had been missing. Does that sound familiar, or what? <laughs> so oh often yeah. We, yeah. So often we are taken off our center within, not realizing what has taken place, and there is a lostness that we feel. Paula, you've been really investigating his journey. Tell us more. Well, uh,
0: spirit. Well, we've had uh, Lee actually with us about uh, about almost a year ago. I think it was October. Yeah, and he, yeah, he actually uh, had just finished the his. Well, we were actually interviewing him about his uh, movie, and uh, and what was really funny when we were interviewing him, Taz, you asked him, "Do you have a new book on the horizon?" And he said <laughs> at that point. Yes, <laughs> we're just finishing up the, the book that we're interviewing him about today. So, Lee, we have so much to talk to you about. I mean, you are traveling, writing books, um, uh, creating workshops, and I, I mean, I don't know how you have enough time in the day to do everything you're doing. So welcome. Well,
3: yeah, well, it's good to be back. Um it's kind of funny it's it's uh those two projects dreaming heaven and and the spirit recovery medicine bag book they really you know they it's looked like i'm this, this super productive person but the truth is dreaming heaven was like a five-year arc you know from the beginning until it was released finally um the film and the book and then this medicine bag book mary and i you know started working on it and like most creative projects you begin something and you're all fired up and you're excited and it's fresh and it's new and you work on it for a year or two. And then by the time the thing comes out, you're kind of over it. You're ready to go on to something new. <laughs> and um, that's what happened. And then Mary and I got together and started working on the idea for the Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag book, and, and it just all lined up. So it's kind of funny. Um,
0: now, how was it? How did it feel to, and while you were writing this to um – Look back at your life. I mean, you you reviewed, revealed everything. You know, at the first half of the book about your life. How did that feel writing that?
3: Um, again, that's a it, it's a thread. Um, it really is a thread. And years, let's see, eight or nine years ago, and and I I acknowledge this in the book. About I guess about ten years ago now, or eleven years ago now. Um, I made my first, I made my first journey to Teotihuacan, Mexico, and I was connected to teachers that worked under Miguel Ruiz. um, and one of the assignments that I was given in my, when I was in the Toltec tribe, um, one of the early on assignments was to write your story, and the assignment was, just begin anywhere you want to begin, but bring up and call up and write down literally every aspect of your life that you can remember from the earliest memory up to the present moment. And it's a practice, it's it's an aspect of the shamanic work, you know, of that just working with yourself as a whole being. I don't the term shamanism tends to a lot of people have all kind of ideas about it. It's just addressing ourselves energetically and that's the the nature of the stories we tell and uh, the identities that we that we have cast ourselves in. Um, so I wrote, literally wrote the rough co- the rough draft of what became this book eight nine years ago, um, oh. and it was interesting when I was writing it. Uh, but, you know, because the books had been edited and reedited and all that stuff. Um, there were some things in me writing that book that um, I literally would be writing about something and the emotion would just just nail me because there was still a lot of attachment and a lot of energy and, you know, a, a lot of stuff. Um, and it was really interesting and it supported what I was being taught at that time and the work that I was doing that, you know, we carry all of that old emotional energy, we carry it around with us until we find a way to let it go and it's not that it's bad and it is an energetic that impacts and affects um, our present moment perception and how we feel and it, it definitely impacts our present moment reality and how we you know the choices that we make and all so um, it was really profound it was very interesting and then when Mary and I were working on the spirit on the the medicine bag book. This is what became the second half of them. Um, she said to me because I, I was—I've always—I've been a one-liner. I, I was good at writing copy. I was in the in the uh, in the advertising business for a while, and I used to always end up writing copy for stuff because I was just good at coming up with one-liners. Um, and Mary said, "You know, it would be really cool if you came up with some quotes." to support these different chapters, the different practices that are in the separate chapters in the second half of the book. And I said, well, you know, Mary, I've got this old, um, I almost called her a script. She said, I, I said, I've got this old story of mine that I wrote a few years ago, and, and nothing ever happened with it, and it's just sitting here, and she said, well, send it to me. Um, so I emailed it to her, and she read it, and she called me back, and she said, this is really good. This needs to be the intro to the book, because <laughs> it's the back story to why to why we do, you know, to why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and I was like, well, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's easy.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, you know, the thing is that my, my word of wisdom to everyone out there is, if you're a writer, don't ever throw anything away. Keep it, because you never know, you know, the reality and and time and life, it's not always... Can, it's not always on a, on the same time frame that our mind is. So you may be writing something today that in 15 years um, fits perfectly into something else you're doing.
2: So the lollipops are really uh, still good and tasty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, but now the well, next, it the next,
3: like the, the next project I'm af- I'm actually going to have to sit there and write it all from scratch. But I do have a new idea. So there you go.
0: Oh, great! Great. You'll have to oh share that God. with
3: us. Yeah. <laughs> so so it it <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it's it's just it's, you know, you guys know um, there's a thread from through dream from Dreaming Heaven, you know, the the journeys to Totuacan in the film um, about the journey to Mexico, and then the Medicine Bag book. There is a thread to that. Well there's there's a thread that just has kept coming up with me over and over again and it's the relationship between the legacy that we inherit when we're born into the world and the nature of what we truly are which is an aspect of the light um and i just this the the two, the words legacy the legacy and the light keep coming have just kept flying around in my mind um and it's that realization and awareness um, that once it really comes up for you, if it does come up for you, once you really have an awareness that, you know, what what I've been living is really a story, it's not really what I am, and that my beliefs are really an inherited belief structure, they're not really original. And, you know, what am I really? And so that question of who am I really and what am I really, underneath all that other stuff. So I want to write something that is an ex- uh, 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 delving into that um, in a more intentional way of the legacy and the light. You know, we're not the legacy we inherit in this world. We are the light. Like Jesus said, you know, I am the light and the way. um, I am the light of the world. And, you know, my interpretation of, because I've read the direct Aramaic translations of, of the Gospels and stuff, I've read a lot of stuff, but, um, is that what the message was is that, you know, we are the light of the world, all of us, and we live well, basically asleep.
0: Well, Lee, you know, we um, through Taz and I interviewing a lot of people, this has been really a common theme for people to start waking up and, you know, find out who they really are instead of uh, what our legacy says we are, you know, the non-reality <laughs> And uh, it's it's really people are searching for that more now than ever.
2: Pa- Paula, yeah. you know what? It's it's also like, um, you know, we get stuck in the everyday do's <laughs> and we forget how to make our heart tick and and get excited and to keep that flowing. Like from the river, you know what I mean. It's we forget to get in the river during the day to be able to have that energized feeling. So, uh, you know, Lee, this is we see this in your in your book. You know how um, you speak about the shaman ways. We, you know, that's just kind of a word, and yet, you know, how you described it was so beautiful. Um, coming in, that it's really living, living from your heart and and from what really makes you happy. What um, we really yeah, you know,
3: it's really the nature of relationship um, is the way I've come to to realize it for myself is that everything that I do in my life, if I can look at it and it really is a relationship. The work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, each of the things I do, I have a relationship with that. I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with my children. I have a relationship with the wind and with the cattle and with the horses. Because you know I live on a ranch, and I, that's when I get, when I get off the phone with you guys, I'm, I'm going to be out sorting some mares and some foals. And I have a relationship. Everything in my life is literally a relationship. And once I it once it really got through to me that I am 100% responsible for every relationship that exists in my life and that the integrity of each relationship is determined by by the presence that I bring to it. and And the quality of that relationship is determined, you know, by how I respond and by what I give and by the level of integrity that I hold on my side of that relationship. And shamanism, or you know they um the shaman's world is for me it's literally as simple as you is continuing to live a relationship with the mystery aspect of creation and with the what I call the big r reality, which the big r reality is the world that creator made, it's the world that God created if you want to use that language right yeah, um. Yeah. And what we humans have done is we have dreamed such a compelling, we have created, or I call it dream, we have created such a compelling frame of culture and day-to-day tasks and routines and roles and identities and stories about who we are and what we are. And that stuff, that, that whole legacy, you inherit the moment you're born into this world, you begin to be downloaded with the legacy of your people, of your culture, you know, of the religions, of the whole matrix-like reality that you were born into as a human. And that reality is completely dependent upon our involvement and our feeding it for it to exist. The true reality, the natural world reality, exists with or without the humans on this planet period. And so my experiences have led me to realize it's all alive. You know, the wind, the rain, all the things that the Native American people and the Caral people in Peru and the Toltecs in Mexico and the ancient Egyptians and the African people, all the things that the, that 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 the earth tribe people whatever area they may have come from all the things that they knew and all the relationships that they lived with with the consciousness of creation, we abandoned, we, modern man, we have abandoned those relationships for the sake of giving all of our attention to what we've been told we must focus on in order to be okay, and that's our job and our family and our rent and our car and and our political system and our opinions about all that stuff. You know, and and so we've been domesticated to live in a human-created reality, and we call that reality, and yet we live almost completely disconnected um, from the natural world. We we live disconnected in the sense that we never give it any time, energy, or attention. We're not disconnected from it in any way because we only exist as an aspect of it, as, as an aspect of the natural world. So, what happens if we turn around and we begin to rebalance the nature of our reality and we begin to give attention and awareness and love and gratitude and begin to sit with aspects of the natural world again and develop those relationships again? You know it brings us back into our center and it brings us back into a balance and all of a sudden, life just gets simpler you know um it's unfortunate that. We seem, we, again, the modern man mindset, we seem to get this bizarre gratification out of the more complicated we can make our issues, the more important they seem. And I'm like, this is just jackass, y'all. We just keep complicating everything for the sake of some weird gratification we get out of how complicated it is because the solutions are never complicated. Very, 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 very rarely is a true solution to the messes that we all deal with, comp- are they, are, very rarely are they ever complicated. The solutions are simple and grounded in present moment right now.
2: Hmm. Interesting. You know, I, I was even thinking, oh, my gosh, you know what, I can just go out and look at my flowers and talk to my flowers each more- morning and have a relationship with my flowers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, you well, know why, what? You know why not? What?
3: What? If you think about it, um, my gosh, we have all these crazy relationships with things like, you know, a latte at Starbucks. You know, it's
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, people are checking our emails. <laughs>
3: well, yeah, or our cell phone, or you know, it's it's um, it's it's a, it's a frequency thing. In that we, you know, you develop relationships with what you give your attention to. That's that's a, a basic caveat, and I believe in the way we humans work. So whatever you choose to give your attention to, you you are feeding that connection and that relationship. If we want to have a relationship with the natural world, if we want to have a deeper, more abiding, connected, conscious relationship with the flowers and with the earth, we have to give it attention and and giving something attention if you can give it attention from a place of open mindedness and 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 a, and no expectation and we can just sit and hang out kind of like it is when you meet somebody that you really like you know you're, you're you you run into your 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years old and you run into a person that's just really cool that you that you're drawn to well, you know, when you run into those kind of relationships and there's, there's an energy or a magic there, you don't go into it with a bunch of expectations unless you're really a mess. You go into it kind of like, wow, this is cool. This is fun. This is interesting. So you're really present and you're engaged and you're waiting to see what comes next. If we go into these new relationships like that, then we can actually be in relationship with what it is we're focusing on. If you walk into a relationship with a bunch of expectations, then you're not really focused on the other half of that relationship. You're focused on your expectations being met. That's a whole other situation.
2: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, you go in I, and you just jump up and down. Go ahead, Paula.
0: <laughs> no, I was looking at um, your website. Uh, it's the newest website, com, And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you're actually taking people back to Mexico. What is it in a week? No I, I'm go, going oh, no, I wish. Oh wow! So I thought, oh, too bad I didn't see this sooner. So I'm going to look, be looking for going on a journey with you to Mexico next year.
3: Okay. So do you go there? Well, you know what? We're we're going back. I'm going to Peru, the second of February, and then I believe we're going back to um, to um, I think it's the very first of March next year. Oh, um, great. Yeah, and I'll go sometime between now and then. We may actually even go in November. I may just, we may. you know, I have a home there, and it is home to me. And it's home to me in such a sweet, profound way that literally, it. I can just buy a ticket and go anytime I want. But You know, but it's fun to, to take a group of people and share it.
0: Yeah, and, and in your book you said you actually uh, built a little boutique hotel for people to stay at when they go and journey with you.
3: Yeah, we did. Well, it it, it, it started out again. It's one of those one of those things where, in my travels to Teotihuacan early on, um, I met Alberto Hernandez, who lives in Teo. His family's from there. His family's been there for a thousand years. And Alberto and I were just, you know, it's one of those things where we were just buddies the minute we met. Um, And Alberto, he's now my compadre, and his wife Veronica is my comadre, and, you know, I'm godfather to a couple of their children, and um, I just had a whole Mexican family. Um, And... We started out fixing up a 100-year-old little stone house that was his grandmother's home that had been abandoned, and I was fixing it up just to have a place to stay because I, I knew I would be going back to Teotihuacan on my own as often as I could, and I just wanted a little place to camp there. And one thing led to another, and we just kept going. And then, you know, I, after I worked with the, my teachers for uh, for four or five years, I started co leading journeys myself and we just you know, every month or two and I had extra money, I'd wired home to Mexico like a like a good Mexican does when they're in the United States. Um and so, you know, they call me the gringo mojado, so like I'm the wet gringo that comes to Mexico <laughs> instead of the Mexicans coming to the US. So <laughs> um But anyway, and it just, it evolved and grew, and now it's thedreaminghousemx.com. The website is thedreaminghousemx.com, and it's just, it's such a sweet, beautiful place. It's amazing. And literally, the moment you get there and you pull in through the gates, I've never had anyone not say, oh, my God, you know, this is like magic. And it is. It's really sweet, really pretty, and it's very traditional, colonial Mexico.
0: So can people go down there um, without going on a journey, just to stay there?
3: Yes, you can. You can just go down and stay. And if you wanted to go, you know, if you wanted to go with some friends or family or something, um, the, we have all kind of relationships and friends and people that can show you around, and it's it's just wonderful. So anyway, I'm going back home. I'm going back home there uh, Wednesday morning.
2: And And the the website again is The Dreaming
3: House? The name of it is The Dreaming House.
2: TheDreamingHouse.com?
3: Yeah, it's TheDreamingHouseMX for Mexico. TheDreamingHouseMX.com. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: Wow. You'll have to take a look at that. It sounds so special magical. Well, you guys want
3: to just buy a couple tickets and come on.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, I'm definitely planning on uh, going on a journey with you within the next year, so I'll be looking for different
2: dates. Well, cool. Good. So uh, so, so, fact, so that people fact. know we're, we're speaking with Lee McCormick and we keep forgetting, we get so involved in our st- story with our with our guests, did we forget to tell people who you are? So <laughs> We don't want to do that. And uh, you have another website also. It's called DreamingHeaven.com, and, um, and people can check that out.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dreaming Heaven, of course, is is um, the film. It's a documentary um, of 18 people over a five-day journey to Teotihuacan, what we've just been talking about. Um, and there's a book and a soundtrack, and a a series of meditations. It's an entire journey in itself. Um, And that book's available. Dreaming Heaven is available on Amazon and at bookstores. And, of course, our Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag book, which prompted this telephone call, um, is also available at bookstores and on Amazon. So, you you know, when I got into recovery 17 years ago, um I just I had a realization I was very fortunate that I I had an experience I guess you know in treatment out in Arizona in the desert that something woke up in me and I just had this compelling awareness that that there was I was really missing a connection to something and I wasn't sure what it was but I could not settle for the official story of what I needed to do to be okay in recovery, I had to find and connect with what that was that was missing. You know, and the structure of recovery, the going to meetings and, you know, getting a sponsor and going to a therapist and doing work on yourself. I was okay with all of that. That was you know, that was the tools to help me deal with the with help me deal with the issues of the moment. And those issues were, were serious. Um and And I knew there was a lot more to the story, you know. As they say in the 12-step rooms, and more will be revealed. Well, I knew there was more to be revealed, and I didn't have a clue what it was. So it was, you know, in in hindsight, it was my introduction to to the truth of what blind faith really is um, in one sense, which is the realization that, you know, that life has something more for you. And just because we don't know what it is and we can't, figure it out in our reasoning mind um, has nothing to do with the fact that it's there and, and it's available. And, and that's, I think that's where the growth comes in that we have to grow our way into waking up to those things that we long for and that we're, we know in our heart and soul we're, we're missing. Um, And life will bring it to you. I've realized that life will bring it to us. We just have to keep showing up and keep letting go and keep showing up and, you know, Keep doing the work and and just keep that faith, even though you don't even know what it is your faith is in. Really, you don't know what it is you're you're looking for. You'll know when it shows up.
2: Well, you know when you're out in the wilderness like that, it's it's um, you're, the quietness uh, that surrounds you is much much different than in city life. Um, the introspection, the fresh air. You know, it's it all helps you be able to feel in a different way. So,
3: yeah, it, does. it yeah. does. Well, it helps us to it helps us to have a sense of our of how we really feel inside.
2: Mhm.
3: C- cities are great. Yeah. I mean, I I love Manhattan and I love L. A. You know, and I live on a ranch, an hour, little over an hour from Nashville, and I don't really call Nashville a city. It's a big town. Um, but I love cities and yeah, the frequency of the city, all that energy, um, it, it's, it would be like, you know, we say all the time when you're doing healing work or, or you're just doing, doing soul connecting work with yourself that, you know, I've got to, you, you need to move out of your head and drop down into your body, drop down into your center. And, and it's about keep pulling your taking your attention out of your head and bring it into your center bring it into your body Well, living in a major, in a big city is like living in a giant mind really that that whole energetic of a city it's like it's like a, what was that that third rock from the Sun TV show the great big, big giant head or whatever it was it's like a giant brain when you're in Manhattan and the thing's going wide open 24-7 so yeah it's a lot of fun yeah. Um it energizes you but
0: then <laughs> then you burn out.
3: <laughs> well, it's not a, you know, how do you get how do you bring into focus and awareness the full spectrum of what you are? Because we can become so absorbed in a particular frequency band of consciousness and a particular frequency band of what we've been given our attention to that we trap ourselves. You know you can be very very successful, and you're still only living in twenty percent of the entire range of awareness that you have available to you and at some point that focus or that that narrowed down reality at some point it will get so out of balance that there will be major problems because you're because we're not truly living in balance, we're just living with a very narrow intentful focus on one particular aspect and we can be very good at that, but that doesn't mean that it's long-term gonna gonna be easy to to maintain. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You work with uh, people in recovery, don't you? I mean, you have...
3: Yes, I do. I have a recovery program in Nashville called the Integrative Life Center now. You know, I've started and been involved in several treatment programs. but the Integrative Life Center in Nashville is is our program, and it's just a great program. And, you know, in fact, it's exactly what I'm speaking to. The Integrative Life Center is in the center of Nashville. Our clinical offices are on Music Row, you know, in the heart of Music City, and our houses are are in really cool old neighborhoods in Nashville. Um, and the focus in our program is not it's not so much disease model like the disease of addiction or the disease of whatever your diagnosis is. Our focus is yes, you need to deal with these issues and we're gonna help you do that. And the real opportunity here is to bring your attention to how you create the life that you wake up to in the morning and what do you what's in your heart and soul that you want to bring forward for this life of yours now. You know, so each individual is respected in that sense. That this is not about you needing to drink the Kool Aid and, and and do everything a particular way so you fit into a particular group. It's about you reconnecting to your authenticity and your truth and learning how to live from that place.
0: Now, in your um, centers, do you use the uh, Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag? Because there's a lot
3: of tools. Yeah, in that we book. do. Yeah, in fact, the the. The chapters, um, you know, the experiences and the practices that are in that book came out of or came from um, the years of work that Mary and I have done. We work independently of each other most of the time. But there are things, you know, it's funny because we we both were so congruent in, in what we've become aware of and what we've realized in working with people that are healing and, you know, that are working through the, the trauma and the drama and the fear and the heartbreak of, of just life on earth. And so, yeah, the practices in the book, the point of views of the book, the energy of the book is integrated into the integrative life center. You know, I've always believed that if you're going to have a true healing and recovery program, that program needs to have, it needs to have some diversity in it, meaning that one size does not fit all. And the one thing traditional treatment's proven is that if you only offer people a one-sided one-way program, you're only going to reach a very small percentage of people. You know, the the, the, the traditional 12-step only based treatment programs have a 20%, 25% success rate, and that's it. Um, and that was never acceptable to me. So, you know, right from the get-go years ago, I said, you know, there's just, this is almost elitist. It's like you're telling people, if you don't do exactly what we tell you, you can't make it, but you're not respecting who they are as individuals. So why should they, you know, other than fear driving you, why should they just agree to do what you're telling them to do when you're only giving them one choice? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought, you know, let, let's open this thing up. Let's do ceremonies. Let's do sweat lodges. Let's do um, meditation groups. And let's do Dharma teaching, you know, in some Buddhist practices. And, you know, let's look at... Um, Let's look at a whole array of spiritual perspectives and practices and and beliefs and traditions because different people will resonate with different with with different energies with different beliefs, and it's not up to us to tell you what you need to do to be okay. it's up to us to support you in connecting with what you can build on so that you are okay.
2: Hmm. So, do you work on one-to-one basis a lot?
3: Um, yes, we, you know it's yeah. We do. We work on a we work on a one-to-one basis in each person's unraveling and process and what you call a treatment plan, you know, or in how the what they call case management. So that's very individualized. And but the majority of the time is done. It's groups. Um, there's a real power to working in group. And you learn so much from other people's experiences, you know, and you really develop, we're a very not compassionate culture in the United States. Um, You know, the U.S., uh, what we call compassion in the U.S. is pretty self-serving typically in my opinion. Um, So to develop, you know, to really reconnect to that compassion about, about the reality of what we all share and have lived through just, that's what changed my life or in my treatment experience more than anything else was coming face-to-face with the reality of what other people had lived with in their lives, um, you know, that were in that treatment program with me. I had no idea. I, I had no idea the level of trauma and abuse and and just the stuff that goes on um, behind closed doors and perfectly good looking all american families the nightmares that are that are going on and that are being passed forward from generation to generation because they've never been dealt with
0: i know that somebody has to break the link
3: mhm
0: in the generations yeah um i know you said about your book that you, you give people um tools but they don't have to use them all
2: that's
0: exactly what you're saying So you have this book of tools and people can choose from which tools feels good to them and and is, um, you know, talk to their heart.
3: Yeah. Well, it's just, it's so interesting. It's really hard to explain what working with people in that reality is like if they, you know, you don't have a point of reference for, for what it's really like unless you've in there um, and it's a fine line people people dealing with addiction issues, you have to hold a hard line with them because they can't hold a hard line for themselves. You know that's the nature of addiction. it owns you if you're truly addicted, that addiction owns you um, so you have to have some rigid structure. Around behaviors and and around expectations, and you have to support that individual in in being able to step up and being able to to live with that new structure. Because you don't meet you don't meet very many people who are in active addiction, you know, who can maintain any self discipline or can maintain much self discipline. So you need to hold that line, and that's one side of the deal. And the other side of the deal is the energy behind the program and the energy behind how you interact with people who are in a healing process, I think has more impact on the situation than the the degrees that you have or how many trainings you've been to or how many modalities, you know, because the energy behind it needs to be an energy of absolute honesty and open-mindedness and congruence. And it has to be fierce and loving all at the same time. So, You know, you're really holding a space where you can ruthlessly tell someone what you see going on, but the energy behind it, there is no judgment whatsoever. And there's no expectation of them having to do something a certain way in order to meet your expectations as their teacher or as their sponsor or as their therapist. So you're meeting them and offering them choices and giving them the respect and the support to learn how to make choices again and to realize the cause-and-effect power of the nature of our choices. Hmm. Um, yeah. the sometimes,
2: again, sometimes they go home and they are dealing with people that are ongoing, doing what they've been doing, and so they have no support team at home.
3: Well, That's the, really the key to the Integrative Life Center. It's, as I created it initially, to just be an extended care program for people coming out of primary treatment centers. 80% of the people that leave primary treatment centers just burn down. You know, they they fall apart when they leave the structure of treatment. They do great in treatment and they leave. And like you just said, there's, you know, they've, they've shifted. They've opened up. They've become aware of a lot of aspects of their life. They've made a commitment to stop medicating or stop using drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. Um, but they're going back into a world that's exactly the same. Yeah, And when you've lived an energetic pattern and you've developed a way of being in the world and then you check out for two or three months, but you've got years of imprinted energetic pattern going on there, to expect them to go back into that reality and be able to be okay in it, it's just, it's naive and it's stupid and it's ridiculous, in my opinion. I mean, we've proved that that doesn't work. We've been proving it for 30 years that that doesn't work. So why are we not creating a congruent thread for people? And rather than saying, oh, well, you can go to an inpatient treatment program for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, and you come home and you go to 12-step meetings and you can see your therapist and you'll be fine, we've proven that doesn't work. You know, it works for 25 or 30% of the people, and those people are ready to change anyway. Then you've got about another 40 or 50% of the people that are really on the fence and they don't really know, and they don't have any faith in themselves, and they don't know what their life could possibly look like um, and how their life could possibly really be different. So those people, they need a real, in the real world, day-to-day structure and support and opportunity to continue to grow and live and learn how to create their life living in the real world and how to ask for help living in the real world. And that's what the integrative life center is about. It's I call it real world, real time, real recovery.
2: And
0: what some people don't uh, understand too is, if if a person started taking drugs, let's say at fifteen or fourteen, they stop maturing. So when they become clean, don't they go back to um, making choices like a fourteen or fifteen year old? Because they, you know, it's that's uh, where they're at. Maturity-wise, is that true? You,
3: yeah, it's true. Um, it's true to a degree. I mean, certainly, yeah. You're you're very immature on a certain level. Um, I think you compensate for it. You know, honestly, <laughs> this has got. This may sound completely whack, <laughs> but honestly, you know, I'm 58 years old and. You know how it is. You you are who you are. You're not how old your body is, right? I um, mean, you don't realize you don't you don't you wouldn't understand what I was saying. I think unless you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, that wait a minute, I just am who I am, and my body just happens to have gotten older here. Um, but I think I think it's some in in some ways it's almost a saving grace that you don't just abandon yourself completely to become you know, what you what you think or what you see being mirrored for you as a mature adult. Because I think, in a lot of instances, being a mature adult in our culture is, is really a drag. It's heavy. <laughs> I mean, and I'm just saying from a point of view, you know, what I'm yep. talking about is, is we give up spontaneity and we give up our authenticity and we give up passion and we give up, you know, that, that fierceness to, to go for what we really want to do in our life. And we just abandon all those things, you know, in order to fit in and in order to live up to expectations and in order to be good enough and in order to make a living, you know, in the way our system is set up. If you get student loans, you graduate from college, you got a mountain of debt on you. You've got to start paying. And then you buy a car and you finance your car, well, you got to be paying. And then you got to pay rent or you buy a house. And so we... You know, the deck is stacked for us to have to fit into the system and be compliant right from the get-go. So how much room is there for us to really really be authentic, for us to really be spontaneous or to, to follow our passion in the world? when The system has really been geared, you know, for us to serve the system first. That's what's most important is that you fit into the system. Well, and then you look at the system and, you know, the United States consumes more pharmaceutical drugs than than probably the rest of the cultures combined. You know, we have incredibly high rates of mental health issues and alcoholism and eating disorders and and you know just down on down the line. Well, we're not a happy people. We're we're not a balanced people. Um, we're not um, a comfortable people. Not really. You know, so is the system really worth giving all that faith and energy and attention to? Is it really worth it? You know, and when the comeback is, yeah, but, you know, this is where we live and that's all there is. know, that's not true. That is not all there is. You know, but we're not taught to look beyond that structure and the demands that come with it. You know, we're not taught to have faith in ourselves. We're taught to have faith in the stories of God. We're taught to have faith in someone else's beliefs that we've inherited. We're taught to have faith that if we can live up to expectations and fulfill all of the demands and, and seek enough validation in the world, if we can build a strong enough case for ourselves, then we can be good enough as though we're not good enough anyway and haven't always been good enough in the eyes of the one that created us. You know, So there's just we're dealing with a lot of stuff here.
0: Yeah, it sounds like we need to get back to simplicity, like you said at the beginning of the interview. Um, and where your home is in Mexico sounds to me like a, a place of simplicity and love and where you can really connect.
3: Yeah, it it is, and there's an energy there and a presence there that has been a healing place for 5,000 years for humans. So, you know, imagine... Look at, again, we'll use a city. Look at the energy that's present in Manhattan. And Manhattan is, has, what, you know, 100 years, 150 years of human imprint on it to that degree. Well, imagine a place that has 5,000 years of healing practices um, that's, that's, you know, embedded in the earth there. And that's in the light and that's in the air. Um, it's a profoundly sweet and deeply powerful place. And it's a place to go wake up. It serves us in helping us realize aspects of ourself that we've lost connection to. And that's the profound gift of, of Tell People It helps us realize we'll have such amazing experiences. People that have never had what you might call a spiritual experience before will have profound experiences and and they'll never again, as adults, say, well, you know, that's just not real. It's like, no, that stuff is real, and do you want to pursue it or not? Because that's your business. That's your call. Um, you know, it's... Uh, but But, you know, spirit places, grounded places, places where humans have lived and continue to live in relation to the spirit people and in relation to the earth and in relation to the consciousness of creation... Those places exist all over, and it's available to us anywhere. It's available to you right now, wherever you're sitting, and as I said before, it's about developing that relationship. If you meet a person and you want to have a relationship with that person, you have to give that person time and focus and attention and energy, or there's no real relationship. You just met them, said hi, that's cool, and you say goodbye. So if we want a relationship with the greater aspects of ourself, of our spirit, of the natural world, of you know, the consciousness of creation that we are a part of. If we want a deeper relationship with that, we need to find the way to give it attention and time and make it a priority.
0: Well the um location it builds. I mean I mean with each ceremony and, and more people that do ceremonies and it just doesn't it just keep building? Because if you go back five thousand years, that's a lot of time of people coming yeah, in it, and building energy.
3: Well, it, you know, I'm getting pretty esoteric with you here, but what I've witnessed and what I what what I realize about Teotihuacan is this world and life is very multidimensional. Um, we've been taught to only call real what we can see and taste and smell. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if it's present here in the three-dimensional world and I can touch it or feel it or eat it or smell it or sense it in that regard, then I'll call it real. But are angels real? Eh, I don't know. You know, I want to believe in them. Yeah, I believe they're real. But have you ever had? Have you ever met one? You know, have you had an encounter with one? Um, have you had an encounter with, with spirit people? Have you had a, Have you called the wind and it came? You know, we don't live that kind of relationship ongoing. Some people do because it's an innate aspect of what we are. It's available to all of us. And again, culturally, it's more or less been programmed out of us. We don't give it time and attention. In a place like Teotihuacan, those relationships are alive. And people have been living in relationship to the spirit people, to the angels, you know, to what... What we call the gods—they're um, just beings, you know—they're—they're they're just beings. And it's a multi-dimensional universe, and there are beings throughout all the frequencies of creation. There are far more frequencies than we're ever going to understand. I don't think humans have figured out squat. By the way, we really want to think we got something figured out here, and I don't think we know anything. Um, but you know, we—we want to believe that we can that, that, we can do all these amazing profound things and we can't even, we can't even, we haven't even come up with a way to produce energy for ourselves that's not destructive. I mean, you know, we have some ways now, solar and different things, but we're still largely dependent upon fossil fuels and oil and oil is just an insanely destructive practice. So it's kind of like, and you say in the recovery world, first things first, you know, we humans need to bring our attention back to the simple foundations of what sustains us and clean our act up. I think, and, and, you know, that's first things first. But um, Tao holds, and there is in that place, a profound presence of the masters and of the angels. And, and you know, all of those beings, whether it's the Christ or the Buddha or Quetzalcoatl or the mother, you know, whether it's the mother as Mary or the mother as Kuan Yin or the mother as Tonansin. Those presences are all completely available to us there because of the frequency that has been and the relationships that have been carried on there for thousands of years.
2: Yeah, juicy. <laughs> Those <are> juicy <laughs> thoughts and <laughs> relationships that are incredible, you know. Uh. When when people
0: go into journeys or when you go into the journeys, um, there, do you um, go into different dimensions?
3: Well, I think we're in dim- different dimensions all the time, to be honest yeah. with you yeah, um again, it's like our attention we hold our attention so our attention so locked down on being right here in this three dimensional frame um but yeah, people have that's what I meant by the experiences um, and I'm talking about people who come on the journeys of course, because they you know they're interested, they're called to it, they're interested, but they're not new age you know, cosmic characters. They're accountants or they're nurses or, you know, they work everyday lives. They just have a compelling feeling to look for something more, not unlike I did. Um, And, yeah, they'll, you know, they'll... The eagles will come and pick them up in a place called Tativa that we go to. And, you know, we do some ceremony there and people just, they just go. They leave their body and these eagles take them and fly them all over the places and wow. they will show each individual aspects of things that they need to see or have asked to see. And they'll come back, sit up. Their you know all, their bodies will be laid out on the floor in that <laughs> temple. And you know, and they'll come back into their body and they'll open their eyes and you know, just start laughing. Like, oh my god, <laughs> what did you? What just happened to me? I said, you just happened to you. That's an aspect of what you're capable of doing.
2: Yeah, the <laughs> cores of 3D were disconnected. <laughs> he just took a trip.
3: Yeah, you know, and and no, we're not eating peyote or drinking ayahuasca or you know, you don't need power plants. Power plants are great. I'm not against them. Um, you know, they have great applications in particular instances, but the truth is, it's not necessary. You know, it's just not yep. necessary. You're every one of us is a little cosmic character. And, you know, the people that go, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you are. You're a cosmic character, but you're in such absolute denial, and you're so determined to be right that you're willing to continue to make yourself miserable and keep your world small in order for you to be right. And that's your choice. That's your Mm -hmm. right. Have at it. I'm not hanging out there. (laughs) We've
2: got a couple of minutes. You want to kind of give us any last message you want to give us and, We'll go from there, and heaven's, you know what, the door is open for you to come back and share your next venture with us.
0: And, uh, <laughs> yeah. We look forward to venturing with, with you. You have well, to bring your next book to our show.
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely I will. <laughs> um, you know, this the world that we're living in is we're going to see some massive changes. Coming, and and it's just so important these days. It's so important um, that we each find a connection back to the truth of of what we really are, and that we f- that we re- reconnect in our relationship to the spirit and to light, um, and and come back to believing and realizing and owning the fact that we each one of us is absolutely good enough. And we have always been good enough. And we have believed everything else about ourselves except that we're good enough. And we've lived that experience. But that's what that was. It was an experience. It was not the truth. We are all good enough. And if we can reclaim faith in ourselves, however that looks for you, if you can reclaim faith in yourself and come to be in peace with yourself, then Then, whatever goes on in the world around you, you will have a connection to who you really are as you move into creating a new life or as you move into challenges and issues um and there's a presence when we reclaim faith in ourselves, the one that created us is very present with us because the one that created us we're an aspect of the one that created us when we abandon ourselves, we abandon the one that created us. And when we reclaim faith in ourselves, we're really reclaiming faith in the One that created us.
0: Very nice. Yeah. And we want to let everybody know that we've been talking to Lee McCormick and uh, his. He has several websites, but spiritrecovery.com dot com is one one uh, website and
2: DreamingSeven dot
0: Dreamingheaven.net.
2: So yeah, and, and everybody for, should... Go ahead. I was going to say, don't forget the DreamingHouseMX.com. It's really incredible there. It looks like an awesome uh, KOT Wakan, um experience, I'm telling you. So... Um, Lee, and. We, we've enjoyed our journey with you this morning, for sure. Oh uh, well, you thank
3: you so much. Attempt. And um, <laughs> you know, you guys just come with me. Check the website and let me know when you want to come, and I'll take care of you. Okay. Oh, great.
0: And we want to let everybody know to be sure to pick up your the newest book, Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag. Yeah, so, Spirit Recovery you.
3: Medicine Bag, and I'm also on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, under Lee Richard McCormick. And Spirit Recovery is also on Facebook, and so is Dreaming Heaven.
0: Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you you so much for being with us today before you leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
3: You
0: bet. Have a great day. Okay,
1: thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.